Now may God be in my mouth and in my speaking. Amen. It's really kind of you to welcome me back to St John's to preach again. Susan, you've been amazingly generous. Just when you were getting nicely settled in as rector, Bill and Hope Eakins dropped in the suggestion that you might want to risk having me, this old Brit, to preach at the church and just after Thanksgiving as well, when you are all celebrating having got rid of us, colonial throwback. <laughs> you're, you're truly kind. Now, obviously, I have been very well briefed. I must stay away from anything too controversial or political. I can't really do the ancient Greek orator's trick of doing a Philippic, you know, saying loudly, I'm not going to say anything about Philip, and then going on to say what an awful person he is. So, no Brexit and Trump then. So, sorry, and all that. Instead, I want to get to grips with the sheep and the goats. Are you a sheep or a goat? It's a rigid division. On the right side, the Elysian fields await you. But if you are Billy Goat Gruff, nothing so nice. That's the thing I want to explore with the sheep and the goats, divisions. People divided, divided because they disagree. They disagree about what is the best thing to do. And then perhaps, do they have those divisions confirmed, ratified by the Judge Eternal? At Thanksgiving, you are celebrating independence from the colonial power that we were, the young nation standing on its own feet. It was a journey started by the Pilgrim Fathers, by the Puritans, who found themselves different from, at odds with, divided from the society they were leaving in England. So I want to look at that division. It stemmed, at least in part, from the religious ferment and turmoil of the Reformation. And you know, apart from those things that I'm not talking about, the other thing this year that has been of special note, not in our political but in our spiritual life, has indeed been the Martin Luther 500th anniversary, 500 years since he is said to have posted up his 95 theses, his 95 points, where he was at odds with the Roman Catholic Church on the church door at Wittenberg in Saxony, which is reckoned to be the event which started the Reformation. And the Reformation led to civil war and persecution all kinds of violence. The particularly ghastly thing about it was that 
the preferred way of getting rid of opponents was to burn them alive at the stake. We often spend time on Good Friday during the three hours devotion reflecting on the dreadful mechanics of death by crucifixion. But death by burning seems to me to have been at least equally as dreadful. And that penalty, that awful penalty, was often so arbitrary and undeserved. Think, for example, of Thomas Cranmer, the great scholar and archbishop who created the first Book of Common Prayer in 1549 and gave the new Church of England liturgy, forms of worship, which were for the first time in a language that could be understanded of the people, as they said, in English instead of in Latin. Although they were in fact based on and continued the tradition of the services which in some cases could be traced right back to the earliest church fathers. But even this saintly man, even this brilliant scholar, Cranmer, was eventually burned to death at the hands of the original Bloody Mary, Queen Mary, who brought the Catholic faith back for the duration of her reign. And this happened because Cranmer was a Protestant at a time when it was no longer the thing to do, the thing to be. <coughs> we don't know whether he actually met Martin Luther. Some scholars such as Dermot McCulloch think that he might well have done, but he certainly spent time in Zurich with Swingley and Butzer. It's fascinating to see how Cranmer reflected the way the ideas of the Reformation ebbed and flowed in this revolutionary time, in the way in which he dealt uh, in the Book of Common Prayer with what was happening in the Holy Communion, at the point when the bread and the wine are shared. The Roman Church, the Catholics, believe in what they call transubstantiation, the real presence of Jesus' body and blood in the bread and the wine of the Holy Communion. But many of the reformers didn't believe in transubstantiation. For them, the bread and the wine were just that, bread and wine, just symbols of a greater thing. And the words in Cranmer's prayer book changed to reflect these different understandings from the 1549 original where the bread and the wine are treated simply in the Catholic way. This is my body, this is the blood. As actually being Christ's body and blood to his revision in 1552, three years later, perhaps after he had met the other reformers. Take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for thee and feed on him in thy heart by faith with thanksgiving. No actual body and blood means that they just are symbols of the wider reality. Bread and wine are still bread and wine. And just after Cranmer's awful death in 1556, there was a further revision which came into the final version of the prayer book in 1662, which is what we have in a slightly different order in the service 
that will, in fact, take part in, in the next few minutes. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken for thee, eat this in remembrance that Christ died for thee, and feed on him in thy heart by faith with thanksgiving. The first bit, the body, the actual body, and then a remembrance, a symbol, feeding but by faith, not literally. So now you can be anywhere on the Catholic Protestant spectrum and find spiritual resonance somewhere in those words. But the point is that then people were dying for those differences or they were feeling so alienated by them that they opted to make a perilous voyage to a largely unknown land and make a new life as the Pilgrim Fathers did. It's frankly strange, it's almost repugnant to us today to think that any state could mete out this ultimate punishment, death, to a learned theologian like Cranmer, or to drive away the fairly saintly pilgrims, but it did. Belief, opinion, learned opinion, was a life or death affair. Now we can look back 500 years and shake our heads sagely, regretting how brutal life was then. But we are far too rational to let ourselves go into that kind of overreaction. But, but I wonder, you know, I promised not to talk about Brexit and Trump. But I will just say that it seems to be true, both back home in England over Brexit, and dare I say here, where President Trump is concerned, that a climate has built up recently where people on each side not only feel strongly, very strongly, but they have stopped talking to each other. Certainly at home in the UK, the referendum on Brexit has divided people, has divided people in a serious way. Old friends are avoiding each other, families are divided. There's no sense of the old way of managing differences. You know, we used to say, old oh, so-and-so thinks such and such, you know, I know he's wrong, but it doesn't matter. We're still the best of friends. And that just doesn't seem to be working anymore. Time was, therefore, when we could disagree about some quite serious things and still be friends. We could hate the sin and love the sinner. But what about Jesus' division? What about Jesus the King? The sheep and the goats are to be separated out. They are to be divided. But not by what they have thought, but by what they have done. Jesus wasn't requiring the elect, the people who were saved, the sheep, to subscribe to any particular world view. He was looking for acts of kindness, not manifestos. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. 
I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Hungry, thirsty, a stranger, no clothes, ill, in prison. You know, you can construct all sorts of scenarios which may, let's say, broadly reflect your political outlook to explain how any person could come into any one of those scenarios. And there's plenty of scope for disagreement. Hungry and thirsty. Because they've made bad life choices, perhaps. A stranger, because they live somewhere that I don't go to, and perhaps they don't live the way we do. No clothes, well, probably not literally, but scruffy, down at heel, when, you know, if they cared about their appearance, you know. Or they might be refugees from a poor country. Are they genuine refugees or just economic migrants? And that's a question which I suspect you as Americans would answer much more sympathetically than many of us Englishmen have been doing. The USA's prosperity is built on the labour of economic migrants. But we in England are now trying to keep them out. Or what if you're sick? What if you're ill? Another difference between our two countries is that I think we have more restrictive rules about when you can fire people. Basically our law says that an employer has to show that he has a fair reason for terminating someone's employment and it is presumed that it was not fair. But a fair reason in English law is if you are ill, if you are ill for too long. And again, that's where I expect there might be disagreements. On the one hand, you know you can't run a business if you have to pay a salary for someone who's not there. But on the other, think what it would do to your powers of recovery if when you are in the depths of illness, you lose your job. What is your point of view? Whose side are you on? Jesus says, when I was in hospital, you came and visited me. Dare we say you visited me and didn't bring me any bad news? I hope so. Here in Hartford, in the home of the US insurance industry, of the Hartford and the Etna, let me dare say it, surely long-term sickness might be covered by an employer's insurance. Well, maybe that's too much. I was ill and you visited me. That's what Jesus said. I was in prison. You came to me. I am a criminal. I didn't deserve anything. I had done something terrible. Surely there are limits here. Some criminals are just too evil. They're too beyond the pale. At home, the man called the Moore's murderer, Ian Brady, has died. And there was controversy 
where his remains should be buried. He killed a number of children in appalling circumstances. And here Charles Manson has done it. Both of them I've heard called evil personified. But Jesus isn't judging them. Jesus' judgment, separating the sheep and the goats, is not about whether someone has been bad, has been a sinner. Jesus would have visited them. He sat down and ate with sinners. That's the clue. That's how it is with Jesus. Not what you'd think. Perhaps not particularly reasonable. But good. So, I suspect that if we acknowledge Christ as King, as Judge Eternal, as we are invited to do today on this festival of Christ the King at the end of Thanksgiving, we may find a way to deal with our differences, and even, dare I say, those real deep differences over Brexit and Trump. Because ultimately those differences may not really be that important. Instead, we need to think sheep and goats, acts of kindness, not manifestos. Amen. Amen.